everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. All right, we are plugging along today with our opponent previews uh, for the 2021 season. Today we have UAB on tap, um, so we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, before then, please uh, remember that the Roost season preview is out um, as the managing editor of another uh, what 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 is the phrase? Irresponsibly in depth <laughs> said. Um, shouts to Greg Tepper. Greg Greg Tepper. It was Greg, right? From from yeah. football. Uh, referred to the Rice preview as uh, irresponsibly in depth. So uh, that's how you know it's got exactly the kind of college football content you're craving. I take that as a badge of honor. Oh, extremely yes. <laughs> this is good. Yeah, we love those guys, and I'm just grateful that it's up and live and and. I can sleep now to some degree. Um, if you haven't gotten it yet, you can go pick up a copy at theroost.com slash shop. The Rice One's 150 pages, got five pages on every Conference USA team. I don't know if I mentioned this on the pod yet, but I got to sit down with Coach Tui, the new OC. Uh-huh. I asked him, should I call you like Tui Sopo Marquez? He's like, just just Tui. I'm like, I can do Tui. Um, <laughs> but I got to sit down with him. And talk about the offense and what that looks like and how he envisions it with new shiny toy Luke McCaffrey. And then, so that's the feature story if you want to read that. But yeah, go grab that up. And then uh, you should, if you want to get it for free, because free stuff is always good. First time subscribers on our starting lineup tier, that's 10 bucks a month. Get access to everything we write, rice football and everything related. Yeah, first-time subscribers in the month of July get the preview for free. So get the magazine for free and get access to... We have media days next week. We have fall camp will be here soon with practice reports. Just got a lot going on. And on the the Patreon note, I wanted to thank Sean Hughes. uh, Joined our All-American tier this past month. A special shout-out for him and his contributions. We got some, some fun stuff cooking over there, too. So... That was a lot up front, but the preview is irresponsibly long. Plenty of (laughs) things in there. Uh, It's interesting. I I learned a lot putting it together and sourced it from folks like uh, Evan Dudley, who is coming on in a minute. He helped me put together the UAB section. So uh, it's a bit more in depth than something you'll get maybe on another national magazine that is culling up depth charts online. I actually went and called the guy who, (laughs) who covers them day in day out and i got the inside scoop so we'll hear more from him and you can pick up uh, even further notes in the preview so we got you covered here at the roost and tuesday we had high school media days we had the host and so it was all you know tell me about your offense tell me about your defense who's going to step up this year what's your kicking game all that we're going to be aggressive on defense and we're going to you know <laughs> yeah be multiple. we're going to do we're high schools play have kicking games uh, some do. Some try to do it because they uh <laughs> they they probably lost out on titles before because of a kick didn't go well. So some of them. This do. is the state of Alabama. So that's on brand. Yeah, <laughs> some of them. Some of them don't care. They're just like, and hey, we're gonna go for two anyway. So what does it matter? But uh, <sighs> interesting media days. We had a few coaches who actually opened up. The rest of them, it was just all coach speak though for the most part. Um, okay, in three, two. One. All right. And the podcast has just become uh, even more uh, egregiously filled with Birmingham than it already was. So because uh, we got Evan Dudley here to talk UAB with us. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, glad to be back. 
we're upping the Birmingham content, which is, I guess, a good thing. I've been through Birmingham. I've been for a game. Does that count? Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, Birmingham's a growing city, man. It's uh, all kinds of new things there now. I liked it. And new food. Yeah, oh yeah, oh the food is an excellent. I mean, beyond just your usual, uh, you know, your barbecue everywhere in every you know every corner store you can find. Uh, you know, they got lots of great food going on. There's a big food scene going in Birmingham now, so that's pretty cool. Oh, this is a tangent, and we just started. But <laughs> Carter, I think last, I think it was last summer during one of our mini pandemic sessions, somebody yeah. asked us to rank the Conference USA towns. Do you remember this? Yes. Was it this summer? Was it? Uh, yeah, we did like a mailbag one. Uh, I don't cool. Know. So that was like four weeks ago, and March I've already or, forgotten. March it. or something like that. It was. <laughs> yeah. I think. Did I have Birmingham? I'm gonna have to go back and listen. I think I had Birmingham one or two. Yeah, they definitely have to be in the top three. But I mean, there's there's good cities there. I mean, you got all the all the Texas cities. You know, Houston, San Antonio, good food. You skipped El Paso on that list. El Paso is good, though. Uh, I actually ate some very authentic Mexican food there when I was uh, there a few years ago for a game. Uh, you know, real, you know, we're real green chilies yeah. and real spice. Uh, it reminded me of being in New Mexico about 20 years ago when I went to the Philmont Scout Ranch. Uh, I was out yeah, there. Philmont. Yeah, I was there out there go. for about I was out there for about two weeks. Uh, we spent time getting used to elevation before we actually hit the trail. And I discovered they put green chilies on everything. I even saw <laughs> it on ice cream. I remember the first time being in, um, oh shoot, where were we? Cozumel and went to a little, you know, shack bar on the, on the beach and ordered fajitas and they brought out this plate for me. And I'm probably like, I don't know, like, like 14, 15, something like that. So I'd never had living in Texas. I've never had real Mexican food. Mm. And what they brought out to me and what I was expecting when I ordered fajitas, I was like, this is not, what is this? <laughs> it's not the same thing. I'm a Tex Max man. I'm I'm indoctrinated. Uh, I love it all at this point. Yeah, I can't complain. All right. Well, I know we'll get started because we have more tangents coming, I'm sure. But we brought you on to talk a little bit about food and a little bit about everything else and a little bit about UAB football. So from from your vantage point who you got closer to the UAB program than just about anybody else at arm's length at least last year what what, what was 2020 like for you and kind of where's the your state of the program where's UAB at right now as we march into 2021 uh as far as last year is concerned uh it was it was a difficult year covering the team uh obviously we were uh we weren't able to go to practices or open media sessions the only time we really got to uh Going one on one was probably in games uh, during post game. Uh, obviously, we got to do Zoom press conferences, Zoom interviews, uh, interviews over the phone for, with student athletes. Uh, you know, write features and things of that nature. Uh, but ultimately, there was a little bit of disconnect just because there was that arm, like you said, arm's length uh, kind of a uh, feeling with the team. But at the same time, you can kind of kind of get what this team was going through. They had the longest layoff of any team in the country during FB uh, during the pandemic. Uh, they come back. Obviously, they beat Ross. A uh, great game. Uh, you know, one of the great games in Conference USA. I mean, it was it was a tough game, and I knew it was going to be. Uh, and then they finished it off with another uh, conference title. Now, going into this season, uh, they lost a few guys. Uh, 
you know, to the draft, you know, Jordan Smith, great edge rusher. Uh, you had uh, Bronte Harris, great cornerback. Uh, you know, a lot of leaders left. But at the same time, you bring a lot of leaders back. They bring that entire offensive line back. You got a fully loaded backfield with Dwayne McBride being the lead guy. Uh, they're going to have to find some receivers, although they got some guys kind of set up for that, as well as bringing in TJ Jones from, uh, uh, from Penn State. Uh, he comes in and let's see. Uh, and tied in, they kept all their tight ends and uh, brought in some new guys. They lose Tony Fair to Auburn, a uh, big defensive lineman, uh, but the defense is loaded as well. So, I mean, it's it's going to be another championship or bust year for UAB. And when you look at the uh, the kind of climate of college football, especially with the uh, the playoff kind of being expanded, it's you know obviously it's not official yet, but uh, you know everything that's been coming out that kind of opens the door for you know these these teams. You know if they schedule right and get the wins, uh, you know they could be in, possibly in the playoffs. So I think that really changes the complexity of this conference to where you know it, it might actually up the talent level as well as uh, you know because we know there's great coaches. You look at Jeff Trailer come in last year. Uh, obviously, Bill Clark, uh, Bloomgren, he's uh, Bloomgren's, I, I believe it's his third or fourth year he's going into, uh, and, and Ross is steadily building because that's that had to be a complete rebuild. Uh, but you saw last year with Ross just in itself how they competed. Uh, so I mean, everyone's kind of getting a little bit better, and just you know, coming out of the pandemic, I think everyone's just really excited to get back to a little normalcy, you know, full, uh, full stadiums as much as they can, and you know, actually being able to get out and you know, recruit. Uh, you know, face to face, all the things that we missed this past season. Yeah, you said another conference title, and it just kind of rolled off your tongue like it's old hat. <laughs> uh, just, just here to remind you that that's not necessarily normal. <laughs> no, no, it's not. But it's it, it, it's come almost though to to normalcy this uh, these past few years. I mean, they've been in the championship game three straight years. Uh, they've won two of the last three, both on the road, which uh, no one in Conference USA had done that up to that point on the road. So it's a, uh, uh, it's something else really that's going on up there. Uh, you know, you, you see Bill Clark and because of the playoff expansion, who knows, uh, he might not leave now, you know, he might have an opportunity to get his team into the playoffs. So why would you need to leave to a new, to a new job after you've built something that big in that short amount of time? So it's a, it's interesting to see just how far this program has come because we know where it was. It was, you know, to put it bluntly, it was laughing stock of college football for so long, you know, they were the team whenever you got on an NCAA football game, you picked UAB because they were going to be the crappiest team. You can go build a dynasty with them and, you know, hang it up on your wall and everything like that. But, I mean, it's a, it, it's just a complete 180 from where this program was to where it is now. And uh, it's it's kind of hard to say when it's going to end unless uh, Clark leaves, and uh, depending on who they bring in after that. That's pretty – it's interesting because I was on a another conference USA podcast earlier today and we were talking about the playoff and I was much, much less optimistic that a conference USA team was going to be able to compile together both the wins in conference and par, par, or lay that in with some non-conference victories. But I guess if I'm, if I'm looking at – the schedule for UAB this year, the Tulane and the Liberty games, those would both be pretty decent wins. Of course, if UAB beats Georgia, you know, yeah, if it was if, if, right now, if it was a if it was made official for this season, UAB's schedule sets up to where they would get a chance to do that. But at the same time, they're going to have to go undefeated. You can't, you, you're not going to be able to suffer a loss on any. You're going to have to go undefeated in the regular season. But yeah, this year with Liberty at home, you're going on the road to Tulane. Uh, 
at Georgia. You open up with your FC opponent, FCS opponent on a neutral side against Jacksonville State, who was in the play- FCS playoffs last year. Uh, really, really good FCS team. So I mean, uh, I mean, it, technically, if you look at it, UAB's non-conference schedule this season is better than Auburn or Alabama's non-conference schedule this year, as odd as that may be. But it's really not odd when you look at how a lot of those teams kind of schedule, where UAB is having to play up to a lot of a competition. You know whenever they go out of conference. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I kind of agree with that. It's, it, it would be hard for a conference U.S. team to get to that point, but I also think that it is possible, but they're going to have to run the table and they're going to have to have a good power five win and they're going to have to, you know, win the games they're supposed to, you know, against their other non-conference opponents. And they got to be strong. They can't be, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of some random towns plus state to, to kind of, bring my point home but you see what i'm saying they they're gonna have to they're gonna have to schedule well they gotta go undefeated and you're gonna have to hope for a little luck too because i mean uh with all these other conferences you see the sun belt what they've been able to do the past couple years uh with coastal carolina last year they got to the top 25 it's a it's a changing atmosphere in college football and i think uh especially the pandemic it exposed a lot of the faults in the system and we've we're seeing it open up now yeah, that's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see. And I think it was interesting because Big 12 Media Days kicked off this week and there was a lot of um, I didn't watch all of it, but I caught a lot of the quotes that were put out there from from Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner, about what 2021 football looks like. And it's it's going to be interesting because there's a lot of the same things that we've, we've ironed out to some extent and then a lot of unknowns left with. Uh, you know, hopefully we are not getting games canceled again this year. That would be the ideal. We can work through that. But I think we're still going to have some some ripple effects from as we work through whatever this is to our, our new normal. Maybe maybe we won't really be back into, you know, the status quo again until we get to 2023 and we we actually have a shot at this playoff again. Um, just, you- an, just an aside here real quick that made me go and look at uh liberty's schedule for this year because i was like well who are the first of all they play a lot of a lot of cusa teams but uh i knew they played old miss i didn't realize that it is in november it's not actually socon saturday because it's the sixth which is earlier it's like the same week alabama plays uab but uh, old miss is gonna lose that game lane is absolutely going to lose that game and then like go undefeated in the in the, the SEC West or something like that. Like, I I 100% guarantee you that Malik Willis is going to, like, throw for 400 yards and run for 300 on Ole Miss's defense in November. That's funny. I just pulled it up. They're going to beat Ole Miss, and then two weeks later after the bye, they're going to lose to Louisiana. Yeah. Because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that That's I football. Yes. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. You look at what Lane had at Ole Miss. There's absolutely no v- defense. And uh, uh, from last year, you could see he put everything he had into that Alabama game. Every trick play, every nuance he had, he put it into the Alabama game last year. And we saw that. Uh, I think he wanted that game. He probably wants that game more than any saving assistant there ever has been. And uh, I think he'll be the first to do it eventually. But, uh, I mean, I, I'd have to agree with Carter on that. I, I think Liberty, uh, being that late in the season, I think Liberty's got a good shot going in there and beating Ole Miss. That's funny. Put it put it on the board. We've 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 called our first November upset in mid July. <laughs> That's right. I like it, man. 
And I guess before we get to November, we back up a little bit. Now that we did have spring football for everybody, is there anything that kind of carried over in your mind from getting a couple spring sessions in uh, for, for UAB this year? Anything that kind of stuck out that you were curious about? I wouldn't say anything really stuck out. I mean, you look at their spring game, and I think it was a, a six nothing or a thirteen six. I don't I don't remember the exact score. It was a very low scoring spring game, but it was very it was a very uh for lack of a better word vanilla because vanilla is quite a tasty flavor. Uh, but very I like vanilla. Vanilla, right? I, I, I don't like using it. I don't like using the word vanilla when saying something's plain because vanilla is a great flavor, guys. Well, and it's also tasty. like vanilla, like actual vanilla, is like a strong flavor. Like it's not yes. it's not bland. No, no, it's 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 been uh it's been blended enough to when you're whatever you're eating ice cream. But back to football from our <laughs> tangent on ice cream. Uh, no, they ran kind of a, a really plain offense during the spring game. I don't think they were looking to get anyone hurt. Uh, you know, they had a lot of guys out that were kind of rehabbing. Uh, but uh, I guess the big thing was the transfers they brought in. They brought in uh Lee Witherspoon from Mississippi State. Uh, they got T.J. Jones out of Penn State. Let's see what else they got. Uh, let's see. Looking at my notes, guys. They make you do your homework here. <laughs> I got all my homework around. I just gotta look it up. There we go. Yeah, uh, Justin Thomas, linebacker from LSU. Charlie Benton, linebacker from West Virginia. Uh, Jalen Malaya, defensive end from Indiana. Uh, you got Taewon Palmer, who was the well, I think yeah, he was the top uh, JUCO wide receiver last year. Uh, had a great season, so. They brought in a lot of guys in the transfer portal uh, this summer. They brought in the rest of their class. They only had two guys in the spring for their signing class. They were two JUCO uh, offensive linemen, uh, but now they have their full class in, uh, as well as uh, just a, a horde of new freshman walk-ons. And uh, as far as they're just the guys that have left, uh, you got a uh, you only had a couple guys actually leave the program. They weren't uh, you know stars or anything. Uh, a couple guys are on medical leave right now. A couple of them transferred Tony Fair, transferred to Auburn. Uh, Chris Noble transferred to Sanford. Uh, so, I mean, there wasn't a lot of loss besides what you, you know, the handful of guys from the draft, a handful of guys left the program, but they brought in a lot more. So I think the talent level is just as much. And I think what they did in the spring was just develop more, develop the depth, you know, get the guys that came in, get them understanding the system. Because, you know, as far as they're concerned, you know, with the offensive line coming back, Tyler Johnston, plus you got two backup quarterbacks with starting experience in this league now. I think they just really wanted to, you know, develop guys more so than try to install anything new because they kind of know who they are. They're going to run the ball. They're going to run some play action, uh, some power QB, too, as well. And they're going to sit back and they're going to just come after you on defense. So I don't think there was anything new in spring. They just uh, they wanted to develop. You know, they wanted to get this talent even more and have it ready for, like I said, another conference championship run. So just reloading. essentially. Yes. Uh, yes, UAB as of right now in Conference USA is the reloading program. They've they've got talent in there. Uh, they've got good coaches that can develop the talent. Uh, so at this point, it's just finding guys, bringing them into the program, and getting them acclimated to that style of what they they want to do, uh, which is playing for championships each year. Uh, I mean, that that is their mantra every year is to play for a championship. That's not going to change while Bill Clark is there. So, uh, yeah, it's all about reloading for UAB. That's crazy. And and you mentioned quarterback. I did want to ask you about that because I'm thinking back and, and Carter and I have now rehashed the Rice UAB game to death because that was particularly <sighs> painful. I, I think uh, Bryson Lucario. Lucero. Lucero. 
I yes. think he threw two good balls during that entire game, and they both went for like 60-yard touchdowns. Um, but Rice has now been burned by him. Tyler Johnston threw four touchdowns and a half. Does that sound right two years ago? Yeah, Something so. like that the against one, Rice? The one conference game in 2019 where Rice's pass defense looked like 2018. It was just uh, just chuck it up, run, run, run far. Uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what they got near the end. I think that's uh, that kind of became their passing game, uh, especially with all the injuries they had. Uh, Tyler Johnson going down early in the season. Uh, I think at that point they just when they whenever they wanted to go downfield, they just chunked it up. Uh, you look at the Louisiana game last year. Uh, that kind of ended with a uh, Lucero interception on a long ball. Uh, with like about a minute left in the game. I talked to Bill after that, and he said, you know, it's just he thought it was time to take a shot, and unfortunately the ball didn't go where they wanted to go. It got intercepted. So I think that became kind of their uh, kind of their calling card near the end of the year because they didn't really have, a, you know, the quarterback to push it downfield like Tyler was until, you know, Tyler was able to come back into the championship game. And, uh, and, and he was still having a little trouble getting the ball out a little bit, just coming back from that injury. He had a, a – I believe it was a – Shoulder injury on his non-throwing shoulder, so uh, he kind of had to come back from that a little bit. And and Tyler's been injured his entire career. Uh, he had, he was injured his junior year of high school, uh, where he was thirty-five and zero as a starter, had two state titles. I mean, the guy was a you know winner, one of the uh, best QBs in the state of Alabama. But you know, he gets to UAB, he's still injured. Uh, he gets a few games in, gets injured again, then comes back next year uh, or last year, excuse me, plays the first three games, gets injured again. So I mean, it, uh, I mean, he he's just been hurt so much, but I I think he's one of those guys you can't question his leadership. He loves to lead. He's going to be the guy, you know, uh, getting everyone together, putting them in the spots they need to be. But at the same time, you got Hopkins. He was injured last year. That's why he was never in that backup uh, conversation uh, with that Bryson kind of took over for because uh, Dylan was just coming off a uh, I believe it was an ankle injury. But now you have Hopkins and Lucero both kind of battling for that backup position. I think that's going to be the probably the biggest battle for their offense is uh, knowing who's going to line up just on the off case that Tyler Johnston gets hurt again this season, which is, uh, you know, highly likely as we've seen from past experiences. And what's your read? Cause we've been kind of going through in basically conference USA, as far as returning quarterbacks, there's Grant Wells at Marshall, who's probably the, the guy who established himself most last year. Until uh, those then, last two games. Until those last two games. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> hey, I, the Marshall contingent will, will t- hype up Grant Wells till they're blue in the face. I'm, I'm more measured, obviously, after seeing that. But uh, between him, I, the next most proven quarterback who's done it at Conference USA might be Frank Harris. Yeah. We, we've been kind of going through this. So Tyler Johnson, like you mentioned, we've seen flashes here and there. Where does he kind of rank? Cause he might be in danger uh, if he can't get everything put together this year, being jumped by what a half a dozen transfer quarterbacks that are coming in to start from, from various power five programs. It, exactly. Uh, that, that's something I kind of noticed too, this off season, uh, obviously Ross got a, a big guy. You got a uh, Louisiana tech, got another guy come in. So a lot of these transfer guys are going to come in, uh, they're experienced. Uh, it might not take them long to grasp the system. So, I mean, Tyler really does have to put it together. I don't think he's going to be on a short leash by any means. Uh, I just think he's going to need to, uh, you know, be a, be a more consistent leader, not uh, not going out there, pushing it too much, not trying to, you know, make the big play, you know, get it to the guys that are going to make the plays. You don't always have to make the play. Uh, uh, 
Carter can probably agree with me on this. Uh, going back to Alabama football, you look at John Parker Wilson uh, at the very end of the uh, or the very beginning of the Nick Saban era. John Parker Wilson, in my mind, he was he's born in Alabama, a big Alabama fan, and I believe he wanted to do everything he could to help Alabama win. And in doing so, he probably caused a lot more losses than he did wins by just making a simple mistake or trying too hard. You know, there's always that you, know, you can't try too hard because sometimes you might overthink it. That happened. And I think Tyler needs to kind of reckon with himself on that uh, issue as well. You know, he needs to know that he doesn't have to do everything himself. He's got a great offensive line. He's got great running backs. Uh, he's got young receivers, but talented receivers. And he's got a defense that has been top 10 the past three seasons. So he does not have to do everything. Uh, he just needs to get out there, get his guys lined up, get them in the right position and put the ball where it needs to be and not overdo it. Yeah, because he was, he was very much a guy who, and I remember previewing UAB like during the 2019 seasons, was very much a guy who would tend to have a lot of like, you know, four touchdown, three interception games where, you know, he was constantly pushing the ball down the field and it was either going over the top or getting picked off and there wasn't a whole lot of in between. Yeah, you can look at 2019, every loss they had, he had multiple turnovers. Uh, I mean, uh, Western Kentucky he had four interceptions. Uh, uh, he had four turnovers against Tennessee. Uh, three of them were interceptions. One was fumble. And three of those turnovers happened on the first play of drives against Tennessee. So, I mean, that that's three drives automatically killed right there. So, I mean, he has to take care of the ball. That is the number one priority for Tyler Johnston because that is what he was known for, you know, leading up until last year. Now, last year he comes in. Those first uh, couple games he started, I believe he had seven touchdowns, one interception at that point. But we didn't get to see him go through an entire season to see if he had actually, you know, kind of, you know, reckoned with that, you know, himself, you know, as far as his turnover. So that's going to be something interesting to see this year, just to see if he can uh, cut down on those uh, interceptions uh, and turnovers. Uh, we got to see a little bit last year, but let's see what he can do in a full season, uh, especially this being his final, uh, his final ride. I mean, he's trying to go for the uh, Jamar Chase, uh, you know, uh, record of Conference USA starting years. So it's, uh, you know, uh, I think it's his sixth or seventh year at UAB now. Of course, he was there uh, the year before this, uh, the program came back. But, uh, I mean, that's what it comes down to is just uh, turnovers on the offensive side. Uh, it's going to have to be on Tyler Johnson whether he makes that happen or not. That's crazy. Now you have me thinking with he might be one of the oldest players in Conference USA, then, if he's going on a sixth, seventh year and he was there pre-split? Yeah. Going for the uh, the uh, Case Keenum Lifetime yeah. Achieve- Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah, I think it's Case Keenum, then Jamar Chase, uh, a couple other guys. But, yeah, it was, I was trying to think of Case Keenum. He's he's the king of uh, staying in college for, you know, a good 10 years. Uh, a man after my own heart, I believe. <laughs> Yeah, I think him and Hunter Renfro, even though Hunter Renfro, I think he only did like a full regular four years. Yeah, he played yeah. four years. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but he was just like God in the playoff like on eternity. national TV every year. Yeah. So, well, he well, he's a liar. So <laughs> <laughs> that's for you, Tony Brown. That's for you, man. I should know better to bring up a Clemson player on a, oh, yeah. a Birmingham. Tyler Johnson is already 24. He will turn 25 like right after this season ends. That is. Yeah. Uh, my man is on the PhD plan. <laughs> I believe he. Uh, he I is think he actually he enrolled at UAB Medical School? Did he? Did he just move on from one to the other? 
He might, he might have at this point. He has to have a master's. I know he's, one of their one of their linebackers actually entered a doctorate program. Now he didn't come back. He had the option of coming back for his last year because he was a senior. But uh, he said, "No, nah, I'm going ahead into this doctorate program. I'm done." That's so enough I mean, work studying to be a doctor, right? <laughs> of course, he's probably got a physical trainer uh, degree at this point with his injuries. He probably he can probably go into you know sports medicine at this point. Yeah, yeah about to say now pop that in that way. He yes. actually has, yeah, he actually has enough experience that it counts as a like an orthopedic surgery rotation. Yeah, it's a credit. <laughs> That's wild. We'll run it past him next time. <laughs> so he's got that job down lock, and then the other guy that I'm, I'm bummed because we didn't get to see him. I just like good football, even if they're running all over Rice. But Spencer Brown is now two straight years that we didn't get to see him play Rice because he goes down. I don't know if he's the first play of the game it was first drive of the game yeah it was the first two, drive two of years the game. ago he got hurt on maybe it was third down something like that i don't know but ran yeah. out to the side and, and missed the that entire game and then I, I what is the official tally like how many warm bodies did uab bring to rice last year like seven and they both played both ways yeah because he wasn't on that contingent either yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah, he he was part of the the kind of the COVID list last year. Uh, as far as our publication was concerned, we we weren't able to, uh, you know, put any news out there of guys unless a coach or themselves or a parent had uh you know commented on the record about it. But uh, you know, after it was said and done, we knew who had it, who didn't. Uh, he was part of that contingent. I mean, it, it, yeah, it was kind of sad to kind of not see him on there. But I think as far as the guys that actually brought, I think it might have been around forty six, maybe. 46, 41 players total. And I think maybe <laughs> half of those guys were scholarship players. But within that, they found a couple of receivers that can help them this year. Because that was uh, at that point, Austin Watkins had left the team to focus on NFL training. And uh, I mean, you're basically left with uh, Myron Mitchell and Trey Shopshire at that point. Yeah, who Shopshire had not, not been too involved up to that point. And that was yeah. kind of his coming out party. I'm pretty sure he had one of those long touchdowns and a couple grabs. Yeah. And I think, uh, Samario Rudolph as well. Uh, he, he was a young kid. He was uh, like a red shirt freshman. He was on the scout team last year as a running back. They moved him to receiver, uh, which he had done that kind of in high school. He played at a small two way in a uh, coastal Alabama. So, I mean, he was kind of used to playing both sides, uh, but they moved him to receiver. I think he got one of those touchdowns too. So, I mean, a lot of these young guys, I guess that was kind of the blessing in disguise at the end of the year was, when everyone went out, they got to see who could step up for the next year. Yeah, like yeah, Rice, like Rice finding out that the fifth and sixth cornerbacks on their opening day depth chart were pretty good players. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was wild. But usually, when you're breaking in, you know, your fifth, sixth, seventh string, that's the point where you're not continuing to find ways to win. And I think, like you said, that's a that's a yeah. credit to Coach Clark and and what he's done there, and the fact that. That defense, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's that that's where it is. That's where it starts and stops for UV is that defense. Uh, you know, that you look around, you look at even Alabama where, you know, they're having to play these high-powered offenses and their, you know, grand defense is, you know, not stopping people as they used to. A uh, little heartbroken for myself, but I understand. The new, I understand the new world we live in now. Uh, but with UAB, uh, Bill Clark's like, no, man, we're going to keep playing defense. We're going to keep coming at you. We're going to keep holding you down, and we're not going to stop. And we're going to run the ball on you. You know, We're not going to try to just throw it everywhere on the field. We're going to try to run the ball on you. 
and we're going to play defense because we have such good defensive players. And a lot of that goes to probably the guys running that defense, uh, especially that front seven. You got uh, Kyle Tatum and uh, 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 Nick Gentry, who both uh, played at Alabama. Nick Gentry especially played uh, for Nick Saban, was co-MVP with Courtney Upshaw, who Courtney Upshaw was a volunteer uh, linebackers coach for UAB last year, so that probably helped a little bit too. So, I mean, they're just all about pinning their ears back and just going for the QB. And, I mean, that's it warms my heart to see that kind of football still out there. I saw Courtney, uh, Courtney Upshaw in the Tuscaloosa Target one time, like I think when he was with the Falcons, and that dude is enormous. Yes. Like I'm I'm a six-and-a-half-foot dude and, you know, a pretty good ring span, but, uh, yeah, Courtney Upshaw was still a big guy for me. That's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. And I'm I'm looking now at the, the, the depth chart here. And other than being lots of good names, I remember that when I was pulling together the, the UAB list. But one guy that I I think always in, interests me the most, and, and I don't know what a position he's officially playing, uh, but Chris Mole, he is is kind of I, I equate him to the, the Treshawn Chamberlain of the UAB defense. If we're just he has to be on the field, one of the 11, somewhere, and at, and do whatever you do, man. What at, if it, What is he doing this year? <laughs> uh, as of right now, they've got him into a safety spot. I believe he's probably going to try to play that star position a little bit because that's kind of where he played a few years ago before they moved him back to full-time at linebacker. But uh, as you said, great comparison, by the way. But, uh, I mean, he's he's a guy. He's got to be on that field. He is a top of He's got he's got to be on the, the eleven on the field. I mean, he is a, he he just knows to the ball. I mean, wherever the ball is, that's where Chris Mole was going to be. And I mean, he might not have the biggest size, but his his instincts are, are just what's the most amazing. I mean, it's like he is the most instinctual linebacker out there. And wherever the ball is, it's just that happens to be where he is. He's always in the right spot, always causing plays. And if not, then he's you know somewhere to where he can cause it. You know, maybe if it's not indirect. In, in, or it might be indirectly, but he's going to have a you know a presence on the field at all times. Yeah, and between him and the other guys, Jordan Smith was a big one. But I need to I'm going to steal some notes and I'm going to pass them along uh, for the for the Rice program because this is it's interesting because you talk about the dominance of the UAB defense and the Rice defense, especially last year, that kind of came into their own and. There was a lot of similarities between how these two programs won their football games. They were impossible to run on, strong up front, and did enough in the passing game to kind of keep everything in front of them and, and limit those plays. But the one thing that uh, the biggest difference I saw between the Rice defense and the UAB defense is the UAB defense just gets to the quarterback, man. I, I don't know what it is, but the pressure is that next level that makes it so much easier for anybody else. So uh, I, what notes do I need to pass along? I know the Rice staff is smarter than neither of us and has figured this all out by now. And the Rice defense is going to have 100 sacks in 2021. But just in case, what's worked so well for this unit that they just have figured out that cheat code? Uh, I, I completely agree with you. I think the, I think Rice and UAB's defense had to have a lot of similarities. I think that probably comes from Clark and Bloomgren both being, you know, kind of defensive guys as well. You know, they, they under, you know, Southern football guys, they understand defense is what's going to win you a title. So, it's you know, funny because Bloom's an, an offensive guy by trade. Yeah, but but but, but, he, but he knows defense is the key. Right. So I mean that, and I think that's how Ross has got this defense up. I mean, uh, I think I believe Blue Ringer probably that was his first priority was to build a a strong defense because that's going to have to be the first thing because 
you'll be able to score some points later on, but you got to be able to stop people first in this league, uh, especially with this, you know, just uh, quarterbacks coming in, coming out. Uh, you just got to be able to, you know, find the certain things and stop them. Now, as far as UAB's defense, uh, kind of what they've got going on, I think it's just the fact that they're going to blitz every single play. I don't think there's going to be a play where they don't unless a quarterback comes out by himself in the backfield, five wide. That might be the only time you might not actually have someone sending a blitz. But at the same time, you've got a pretty heavy defensive line. And, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, your outside linebackers are working as your defensive ends in this uh, defense. So, I mean, they run a 3-4 or, you know, but if you see the starting lineup, it's almost like a – it, it's a it's a two four five because they'll start they'll start two interior linemen and then they'll start their two outside linebackers with two inside backers and then they'll just put five defensive backs even though they like to say they run a three four their depth chart is set up as a three four but really they they run kind of a two a two uh, excuse me a two four five uh, you know at the beginning of games and then they just kind of you know react a little bit to what the personnel is and depending on the personnel they're going to send one two maybe three guys. Maybe they'll send everyone, but the I, I think that's just kind of the, the the mindset of Bill Clark is get there, get to the quarterback, affect him. Uh, maybe not get sacks, but at least get back in there, affect him, cause him to make a mistake. And I think that's their their biggest thing is to make the other team make mistakes on offense. I will pass those along. And then as an aside, <laughs> this is maybe this is just a quote for me after putting the preview together. But you know, maybe back in the day. You had the three four defense and you had the four three defense, and then there was some quirks on top of that. But that was basically what there was. Nowadays, going through Conference USA and trying to put these defenses together, you called it a star position. Rice calls it a viper. Yeah, and you're like, do you have three linemen? Do you have four linemen? Reading through a preview somebody had about the Rice defense, they listed Trayshawn Chamberlain as a linebacker. I'm like, he's kind of a linebacker. He's kind of really not. Um, I I don't know. It's Outside just like, linebackers, slot cornerback, sometimes deep safety. Uh, yeah, on, on consecutive plays. Yeah. So I'm just see, like, see, that's I don't why know I like your do with these things. See, I like that's why I like your comparison with him and Chris Mole because Chris Mole, I believe, you could line him, you could put his hand in the dirt on the edge, and I think he could probably get a sack. I think he could rush the passer just as well as some of those other guys, even if he's going to play maybe a slot corner spot or a safety spot or a middle linebacker spot. I mean, just guys that can, you know, they can multitask. They can play a lot of different positions, which is, you know, especially in Conference USA with a lot of different offenses, you know, a lot of different, you know, variations on spread offenses. You got to have players that can kind of match up. And it's more, you know, it's more about matchups now than it is about systems as, as far as defense is concerned. Because, I mean, offense – you can run spread. You will find those matchups pretty easily. But deep, but defensively, those matchups, those are a little bit harder to find. So I think that's why they're, you know, pulling in, you know, guys that can do a lot of different things on defense, not just rush the passer, not just uh, covering the secondary, but also, you know, support run, uh, you know, just everything that you can think of. They need guys who can do everything. Yeah, well, and a lot of a lot of that is now like, and this is not purely a CUSA thing, but like a, a lot of teams have started doing sort of this this kind of Iowa State thing that is is where it really got its start. But they they run a tight front up front, which is you you have it's an it's an odd front. It's you have two four eye defensive ends, which are on the inside shoulder of the tackle, and then you have uh, a nose guard, and you basically like you clog up the B gaps and spill everything outside in the run game, and then have your guys in the secondary and stuff basically run to the ball 
Um, and the idea is that you can you can like stop the run with a light box because you're facing all these sophisticated passing attacks now. Um, and that leaves you know a lot of guys are uh, a lot of teams are doing these sort of like they're in like three safety looks and the middle safety is kind of sort of in a, sort of in a linebacker-ish role because they only have like one true off-ball linebacker and so they're like you've got a middle safety that's like sitting on the uh, on the whole coverage like in a in a middle of the field close type of thing so it's like you end up with these guys that, like, you coaches are still basing their their ideas around they want to stop the run first, but they're recognizing that they need to have the numbers to play against the passing. Like that's what really about defending the pass is all about is just having numbers. Um, so you're getting guys who can play in coverage and play in space but you still, because you're putting more of those guys on the field, you need them to be able to play the run as well. So you're looking at, you, 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 there's really a growing space for all that like hybrid linebacker safety slot type guys. And adding to that, you see a lot of these offenses using their passing game as a sort of running game as well, especially with those kind of, uh, you know, kind of screen passes or, you know, just a lot of those passes to the outside where you got some blockers already ready. So it's, it's a running game to some of these teams. Yeah, so we don't play the same game we played 10 years ago. Not at all. No. Which is crazy because it really was. Uh, you think back to, we already mentioned, early Alabama years. That wasn't that long ago that this all got rolling. Yeah. And that was a completely different football game. Well, but it, it's also it funny how it becomes like an, like an everything old is new again type thing because the tight front is like, it's all the rage these days and it's even starting to filter up to the NFL, but it's really just like a adapted form of the old, like buddy Ryan bear front. The like the, yes. that, that's like a five, two where you've got all these, uh, you're, you're just like plugging literally every single gap on the defensive line. And then you've got like three defensive backs because it was the eighties and nobody threw the ball. But, um, it's funny how that stuff just like, the 80s were a simpler time, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I've heard conflicting opinions on that. Cindy Lauper ruled the airwaves. <laughs> it was nice. Yeah, it's funny. And now we're going to get full circle, right? Because you have Bloomgren and Bill Clark, who probably, contrary to, to popular opinion what's out there, they're going to go run the football and, and try and put 40 carries in a game versus everybody else that might run 40 times across two or three games. Yeah. And I think it's more so they want to control the game. And I think that's and that's how you do it. You got to play defense and you got to run the ball. If you can run the ball successfully, keep the clock moving while you're just kind of easing your way down the field, you're in control of that game. And I think I think that's what their their mindset is, is control the game. Don't don't let don't fall into it. Uh, don't fall into your opponent's kind of, a you know, game. You play yours and you force them to play your game, which is control. Well, and it, it, it works if you can control the lines of scrimmage, which UAB yes. has done consistently year in and year out under Bill Clark and which Rice has. Uh, that is what they want to do. That is what they have done on defense against the run consistently. Um but it's definitely still a work in progress at times in other areas, and you can see it in the difference in the results. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Former UAB linebackers coming in to pop over an assistant coach. Is that all we're missing? <laughs> I know Bloomberg's <laughs> got to know some guys. Uh, he, he, he's got to. I mean, he knows a lot of the Alabama <laughs> yeah, kids. He's been, well, he's, he's already used one, one uh, close family connection t- from another stop to get Rice a big player. So uh, 
Well, Rice have been getting a lot of Alabama guys too here in the the past year or so. Yeah, I think signed four yeah, yeah, yeah. high schoolers last year. Mm-hmm. That, 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 there's a lot of talent in Alabama in the high school ranks on uh, that a lot of people probably miss. But I mean, uh, what you don't get, what what doesn't go to Alabama or Auburn, I think uh, Bill's trying to keep it back home. Although you can see some of it starting to filter out. But that was always kind of the thing with UAB and why UAB never could take that next step. They let all that remaining talent go away, go to Southern Miss, go to Memphis, uh, you know, go to Louisiana Tech, uh, Tulane, you know, all, you know, schools around uh, Alabama uh, and that kind of southeastern uh, footprint there. So I think a lot of that had to do with it. Yeah, I'm actually pulling up the list now, and I, I think looks like half well, uh, three of the top 10 or so rated players in Rice's uh, 2021 class were from Alabama. I think um, they signed, uh, and, and this is this is not a joke. It may not be accurate, but I am not joking when I say it. I think they signed more players for the football team in this past recruiting class from the state of Alabama than like total students matriculated to Rice in my class in 2009 when I was a freshman. There were not a lot of people from Alabama in that like i think oh. they get more now i think like the name is a little bigger but yeah that year there were there were barren i i honestly off the top of my head cannot think of another person from alabama who was in my year at rice well that's you was... you you're the token alabama <laughs> yeah like i'm but, sure there were a couple but it was not a lot uh funny tangent real quick uh, i just wanted to mention this uh with carter uh so a few years ago i'm sure some of your listeners know that carter was on jeopardy uh, I knew this. I watched the episode. I rooted for him because he's a Alabama lawsuit at the time, but it did not click until a couple weeks ago when Carter actually tweeted something out about it and it, it clicked. I was like, Oh my God, dude, it's you. You were like, I found <laughs> you're like a thousand times cooler to me now because of that one thing. Yeah. I have, I have the tattoo to prove it and everything. That's right. <laughs> See, this now, is funny because I've known this, but I've never actually gone back and watched the episode. For as long as I've known Carter, can I just Google this? Can you find individual episodes? Uh, not like, well, not legally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is the answer. Well, and they they rotate out the collections on Netflix and stuff, and yeah. they just added some. Uh, I think I was on season thirty-two. They just added oh, some season Jeopardy thirty-two episodes on Netflix. Um, yeah, it, it's not not all of it, but there are yeah. like some random collections of episodes. They now have the episodes of um. Andrew Powell, who was a six-game champion uh, in that season, who was in the Terminator of Champions, who lost to Buzzy Cohen, who won the Terminator of Champions, was in the All-Star Games, is like was the guest host for the recent Terminator of Champions, like Big Jeopardy name. Uh, Andrew Powell's first episode was the day after I lost. So uh, we're, I'm currently missing the Netflix rotation by, mm-hmm. uh, by one, one episode. But I, I have copies of my episodes now, which I did not <laughs> until very recently. But uh, yeah, they're not. I, I don't think mine at the moment are easily findable. This yeah, podcast fun. does not condone a uh, torrent use. <laughs> yeah, disclaimer. <laughs> I, I will not comment up. on the means by which these episodes were acquired. By the way, <laughs> Netflix says last day to watch July 28th. So I guess it's going away. So Get on I'm there, folks. I need to binge 32 seasons of Jeopardy in the next two weeks. Oh, it's not. It's probably like, I, I don't think it's more than like 30 or 40 episodes on there at any given time. They like oh, okay. I see 45. Episode 7,354. <laughs> oh, moly. So, Carter, who do you want to be the new host? 
Uh, LeVar Burton. Yes. LeVar. Correct answer. <laughs> um, if it's sub- of, of like the people who have done so far, like I would be in favor of, of Ken or Buzzy just because they're they're guys yeah. who have been around and who are comfortable and, and know the show and were, were good when they guest hosted. Like most, I don't know. I don't want some like TV host who, yeah. like, I don't know. Anderson Cooper would be fine, but like not, I I don't know. He, he would not like someone like that who is known for just like being a TV person is, would not be my first choice. And like, like LeVar is such like the perfect confluence of traits. Like he, I'm pretty sure he was on Celebrity Jeopardy once. Like he obviously has like the nerd cred. And he's an actor and he has, you know, these these public facing skills. And then you also have the reading rainbow element like he was on community also. That Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> For a few episodes. That is, that is a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, but you're, yeah. you're you're correct. Aside from the, the my Star Trek fanboying, I think just like if you look at it logically in terms of like the combination of elements and experiences that he brings i think it makes like way too much sense which probably means it won't happen but yeah you're starting to sound like a football fan there you know i'm being completely <laughs> unbiased but if you look at it logically here's why <laughs> we'll do jeopardy analysis on the next podcast yeah i mean we'll put it in there right Absolutely. there's a lot more that goes into it than than people realize sometimes yeah so. <laughs> my brother, my brother was very close to getting. I think he was on like kind of the last uh, when I think they're like phone interviews or phone quizzes you had to take or something like that. Or the, or that I don't know. This was probably about fifteen twenty years ago. Yeah, it's it's changed a little bit recently. So yeah, they they can probably do more online stuff now. But uh, yeah, he was he was close to getting onto it. Uh, the onto it probably about fifteen twenty years ago, but he didn't make the last cut. So, but yeah, I always always a fan of Jeopardy. So I'm always down to, for discussion. We'll pull it up. I'm not. I'm not illegally looking for Carter's episode. <laughs> I kid. I kid. I, I, I. Um. While we're while we're on the subject, do we do we dare venture in a brief aside into one more TV show before we uh, close things up with a lightning round? I know we'd we'd promised when we got you on to uh, hit the high points of what you thought of Loki. So we'll we'll, we'll give you time to uh, air your comments or grievances before we uh, uh yeah. close you out <laughs> yeah well since uh you've not seen the last episode i won't make any spoilers for that part but uh oh, we'll this go is up the to... official spoiler if you're listening now and you don't want to get anything at all don't yeah. don't, don't listen anymore but we're, we'll just kind of go through the first four or five episodes but uh we'll start with one division i thought it was a great series it, it you know we thought it might have uh done a lot of stuff for the for the mcu going forward and it did uh and then came along, uh, you know, the Falcon, Captain America, and the Winter Soldier, which I thought was great. It kind of reminded me of the Winter Soldier movie, you know, clandestine spies, you know, Tom Clancy, that type of thing, which uh, that's why I always like the Winter Soldier. And then Loki comes along. I thought they were going to give us one show, and they have given us an entirely different one, and I could not be more pleased. I mean, it has a, been a rod. It is I mean, beyond, uh, you know, I don't usually go back and rewatch a lot of MCU movies. You know, a few of them I have that are my favorites, but uh, I have probably watched every episode of Loki at least twice just because the cinematography, uh, the score, the use the music. of the use of yeah, theremin, yeah. a theremin within the score. And also, <laughs> I, I cannot think of the piece. Uh, it's actually when uh, Renslayer and uh, Mobius are actually speaking. Uh, and there's a there's 
she's got a, a, a role on. And I forget the actual piece. It's a, it's an actual classical piece, but they're actually take the melody and play it on a theremin, which is just, it was incredible. So that's what, one of my favorite things is the use of theremin in the score. And the, the lucky theme itself is just amazing. But, uh, you know, going up through these episodes, it was just one surprise after another. We get to the, uh, the variants last week, uh, Richard E. Grant absolutely stole oh, yeah. episode Just, five. Oh my god, I, man! That I guy. watched that episode on like Thursday or Friday because we couldn't watch it right away. And mm. uh, I saw like the night it premiered, my sister just tweeted Richard E. Grant, and I was like, I don't what. And then yeah. <laughs> when we watched the episode, I was like, Oh, 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 oh! <laughs> it, it, like I didn't even know he was in the episode. I was like, I have no context for this tweet. And then him and the that, alligator. Yeah. yeah, Alligator yeah. Loker. Gotta love yeah, Alligator we're, Loker. We're alligator Loki stands here. But absolutely, Richard E. Grant stole that episode. Uh, the new guy uh, in the final episode, the other actor that appears, uh, he absolutely steals that show as well. Uh, I'm not going to say anything else about that, but that was definitely... Because uh, there was a lot of development in the final episode. Lots I'm of pretty, great... There's, there's been a, um, shall we say, heavily speculated character to appear yes. in this and uh i saw like that hey i have I, seen nothing i have managed to i saw completely... that there's a big reveal in the last episode and i was yes. like oh it's it's who i think it is isn't it and it, so and if, it was if we had to rank these together i'm curious because as you mentioned going through wandavision we had christian covington on four months ago five months ago whenever right around the time at, it was coming out at yeah. some point and, and he was he was blown. He seemed to like. I was kind of on the fence about Wandavision. Uh, yeah. Like it was good. I just, I, it kind of threw me for a loop in a way I wasn't expecting. And I'm like, you gotta, I gotta be prepared for whatever you're, you're, you're like. It was. It's all about like processing loss and grief and like mm. that's important. But I was not expecting that. And so when it came at me, I was like, what, what is happening right now? And what are we doing? Um, I think that. So that you, was something. I, yo, continue. I'm sorry. I was just. Well, it is another side, but how would how would you kind of parse the the this next wave of, of shows out in in terms of your preference? Uh, Loki would be on top for me, and I haven't finished it yet. Absolutely, absolutely, Luke Loki is top. I mean, uh, the acting has been great in all all three series so far, but I mean, it's just it's so much more believable in a setting that is almost unbelievable. I mean, the the acting is just incredible. They've got you know obviously Owen Wilson in uh. A role that you don't really see him too often in, maybe in a Wes Anderson film where he's a little bit more subdued. Uh, but then again, maybe not because it's a Wes Anderson film. Uh, but still, I mean, I loved, I love Owen's uh, portrayal of Mobius uh, through it right now. It's great. Uh, second, I probably gotta go One Division just because uh, it did hit me with a uh, lesson that I wasn't expecting about grief, and uh, that that paid off really well for me. Uh, uh, you know, I had to go through some stuff a few, uh, few, few months ago. So, I mean, kind of, you know, having that in the back of mind kind of really helped me. Plus, whoever wrote that line, uh, you know, uh, what is grief, if not love persevering, give yeah. that man a raise. Screenwriters <laughs> everywhere were like, they were, they just couldn't believe it. I mean, <laughs> great line. And then I would probably, yeah, I got to go with, uh, you know, Falcon Winter Soldier uh, last. I mean, it, it's not as much. You know, cool out there. Uh, you know, Marvel stuff. It's more, uh, it's more grounded, but at the same time, uh, it, it's got, it gives that kind of '90s spy movie kind of vibe. You know, uh, you know, uh, military movie. You, you think like Hunt for Red October, uh, Patriot Games. A lot of these old '90s, you know, based off Tom Clancy uh, novels. I mean, 
it had that kind of feel, especially like with the Winter Soldier. You get Robert Redford in there. I mean, it, it automatically gives that kind of a that feel to it. Uh, just knowing Robert Redford and some of the roles he's played. Uh, speaking of which, I watched The Last Castle just the other night. Uh, great movie if y'all haven't seen it. Uh, but I mean, I really liked it. I could probably move it into any one of those three spots, but uh, I just probably put it at three just because it wasn't that spectacular, you know, out there, other worlds and stuff that I, you know, I always kind of crave, you know, to to kind of, you know, take a break from the real world and just, you know, go riding off into space. But I mean, I, I really liked what it had to say. It got a little social uh, justice wise a little bit, but I mean, that's always conversations we need to have. Uh, you know, that's, I'll leave it at that as not to, uh, politicize anything <laughs> to everyone that we can go down <laughs> yes that one would last forever and yeah. <laughs> we would it would start wars and people would hate each other and let's not do that we all like each other <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, the thing that's been that was great about about wandavision and now loki is that it kind of pushed the mcu to areas that it really hadn't been before in terms of just like the weirdness and yeah. the the like I, I liked about WandaVision that it actually used the medium properly. Like it yes. felt like television, felt like it was planned for television rather than incredible. like Yeah. Um and Loki doesn't do the same things, but it obviously it pushes boundaries in kind of a whole new way. And then you have Tom Hiddleston as Loki, who has long been like the single, maybe most compelling character in the entire MCU. And you get you get to see him on this really interesting journey because and I, I read interviews with him where he talked about this because it's it's so weird to have played this character for more than a decade now and you've built up all this, you know, nine years since the Avengers came out, you built up all this growth for the character during that time leading up to his death in, in Infinity War. And now you're resetting that because this Loki is branching off at the time of Avengers. And so it's was really interesting to see him, like, bring back some of those things that had been in the character before that had kind of been evolved or moved on by the time by the time sort of prime loki died yeah Um, and and what we've seen with the development of this loki it's uh it's a similar development to where he goes to you know where he dies in finio where he kind of crosses over from being more of a villain into you know anti-hero that you know all those little labels and stuff it's similar in Loki, but it's it's different at the same time. He's not exactly that same guy that dies in Infinity War or, you know, is alive at the end of Ragnarok. You know, he's a different Loki. It's a different personality, but it's still kind of taking a similar path. You know, right. speaking of paths, <laughs> walk the path. I think Tom, Tom Hiddleston is quickly becoming. I was a fan of, mm-hmm. of his. He's, he's quickly. And maybe maybe this is just the hair to some degree. but I. Bear with me. Uh, I watch him and I and I, I, I reminisce to Heath Ledger, the the, mm. the character he plays in the the serious silliness. He is like I just yes. big Heath Ledger fan. I watch him and Loki and I'm like I this is this, it's not the same. But and I, and I and I think that's why I liked a lot of the these kind of new MCU things is that like you just said it's got the serious silliness to it, which is. That's some of the best stuff with Marvel. Growing up reading Marvel comic books, that's some of the best stuff is when it's serious, but it's absolutely silly and it sh- just should not even be on pages, but it, it works for some reason. I mean, you, you see the What If uh, trailer, Howard the Duck Returns. I mean, yeah, that's one of the oddest things. I mean, I don't know if you ever saw the original Howard the Duck movie with Leah Thompson. It's out there. Uh she wants to direct the re- she wants to direct the reboot according to her Twitter, which I think would be awesome. But uh, no, the serious the serious silliness that that's what I need. I love it. I mean, you can 
you can really feel, you can really connect with characters because obviously these actors are just great at what they're doing. They're developing these characters themselves because to me, always number one in storytelling is character development. That's the number one priority. Everything else is just, you know, it's just extra. Uh, it's all about, you know, the, the hero's journey is essentially, you know, the, the old uh, adage, you know, the hero's journey from point A to point B. Uh, but, you know, just these actors, you care about these characters and now they're, you know, pushing it beyond just the uh, the grounded work of the early MCU to where it's really bringing in the kind of the comic, uh, you know, the comic personalities and, you know, all the weird, awesome stuff we could possibly see in the next few years. And we've um, known these people for a decade now because Avengers yeah. was 2012. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And they've it, been popping out two movies a year since then, basically. It, it's amazing. It's a it's a time that I never thought I would see as, you know, a geeky little kid reading comic books growing up. But I mean, and I grew up reading comics in the 90s. So I had Jim Lee and his thousand pockets anywhere he could find a pocket on a uniform. He was going to put one. <laughs> but uh but no, you know, great 90s. There were some great storylines in the 90s. But I mean, they're bringing so many different stories. And I guess my one hope is when they do eventually bring in the X-Men is that they don't screw up the Phoenix Saga for a third time. That would be super sweet. <laughs> super sweet. I mean, Fox messed it up twice. Might, I mean, it might be a literal third time's the charm. So, yeah. Uh, it's it, it's amazing, man. I mean, it's just something I never thought. I never thought it would be this popular as well. But that also goes into a lot of the writers, like I said, the writers, the actors, everyone actually telling these stories and you know making development in them. They're not just you know some people say it's a machine. They can just put out anything, and you know like Ant Man or Black Widow. They're just like putting out movies, and it doesn't add to a big you know a big arc of the overarching universe. But at the same time, I don't think it's just a machine. I think it's just here's a smaller story. That may not be within you know the grand scope of what we like to do, but it's an important story. Now, I haven't seen Black Widow yet. I might watch it there tonight. I'm not sure. I'm debating whether to actually go to a movie theater or spend thirty bucks at home. I think I'd rather go to the theater. I mean, that's just me. But uh, but you know, I, I don't think it's so much a machine as is they just have figured out what works and they know what it is. It's great writing and great acting and great directing. You know, your your basic three. It's a it's a chef at a good restaurant. They yes. don't have to measure anything out. It's all by touch. Exactly. And it's it, every time. And it's not too many chefs in the kitchen. It's just we got one chef in the kitchen at the time. But when it's time for a new uh, a new dish, we're going to bring in another guy. It's crazy, man. I'm I'm pumped. We we, uh, we got more. And then, you know what the best part is? When we come you on next season, I don't even know what's in the the queue but we'll have something completely i didn't know i i didn't grow up reading all the comics so when they announced all of these things that they're gonna be doing i'm like great i've heard of none of these and i know i'm going to love every single one of them (laughs) yeah and some of them are some of the really old school storylines like one uh i mean i don't i don't know if it's been officially announced or not or maybe it's just stuff i see online but one i would be really super excited about would be secret wars because that's like one of the the seminal 80s 80s uh, uh stories with secret wars it's where you get the symbiote for venom uh yeah you get i don't you get um, although I although they've they announced it they've announced a secret invasion series yeah the secret invasion I know. Scrolls. so it'll be it'll be cool if they can do secret wars get everyone together fighting that would be kind of cool uh maybe they can actually do the retcon venom origin where the venom symbiote actually meets deadpool first before interacting with spider-man and that's <laughs> why the venom symbiote was so crazy was because it met Deadpool and had to get off of him because it Deadpool's mind was so crazy. 
But also, uh, real quick, the Thanos copter was pruned in Loki. Yes. Therefore, Deadpool, I saw it. therefore Deadpool is canon. <laughs> Deadpool is canon. Because Thanos hires Deadpool as a mercenary to help him take the cosmic cube, and he's seen find the damn Thanos copter. Thanos copter is canon. Love it. I laughed so hard at that, and my wife looked at me and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was the same way, dude. I saw that, I just started hollering. I was like, oh my god, it's the Thanos copter. Oh, it was wonderful. I can't believe I missed that, but uh, but yeah, guys, uh, that's the rewatch. Hey, no, no, no you're, we're not letting you out that easy. No, we let's run do lightning round. Lightning round. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. We got to do lightning round. Yeah, there you go. We'll try and be quick. Um, so we'll start you off easy, maybe. Uh, who leads UAB in touchdowns this year? Ooh, uh, Dwayne McBride. This seems like a pretty safe bet. Starting running back for a Bill Clark team. Okay, other side, no Jordan Smith. Who leads the team in sacks? Ooh, uh, I would want to say Alex Rott, but I think I might want to go with, uh, hmm, Kelly Sanders. Interesting. That's a little out of left field. Any, any particular yeah. reason why? Uh, he's, he's really, he's built a lot like Jordan Smith, tall guy, long windspan. Uh, I think he's going to kind of slide into that spot. I mean, it's going to be him and kind of probably Justin Thomas kind of manning that. Uh, that uh, I believe it was the I believe it was the Sam uh, the Sam linebacker spot for them was the strong side because uh, Alex was on the right was on the other side of the weak side. So I, I, it's going to be Kelly Sanders, I believe. I think he's just going to have the uh, the the position kind of there where Jordan Smith was. And uh, if if anything, a lot of those defensive linemen they're going to kind of remember how they played with Jordan Smith, where they're going to kind of push guys to a certain angle to allow Jordan Smith to come around and do his work. And I think that's how Kelly Sanders is going to end up doing his work okay. is they're, they're going to kind of feel a little bit like Jordan Smith is still there. Okay. And then divert a little bit from football. This one we added best mascot in conference USA. Ooh, best mascot in conference USA. All right. Uh, I'm going to have to go with UAB. This is not because I cover UAB. This is because I grew up in Alabama. Okay, And even, we have even, to ask you the Komodo dragon. Fill, fill all listeners in on that saga because we were discussing it a couple weeks ago. All right. So, uh, yeah, anyways, from Alabama, always kind of liked UAB growing up. I mean, hell, they got a mascot. It's a dragon. I thought that was cool. So I I, I got to stay with that one. Although, if I'm going second, I might go Ross. I mean, some owls. I like owls. And, I mean, everyone else how, is bold. How many, everyone else is, uh, how many teams' uh, costumes mascot have ever been ejected from a basketball game for headbutting a ref? I ask you. That yeah, right there. Get out of here, FAU. Other yeah. owls. Yeah, I like the original owls, the rice owls. Uh, but no, uh, where, where, where were we going on this? Uh, mascots. We, we were dragon. discussing Komodo, the validity Komodo. of a Komodo dragon and right, whether or not it's actually a thing. This was a, just kind of a Twitter joke going around between me and some of my followers. They're always like, man, we should get a new, we should get a Komodo dragon for, uh, you know, the new stadium, have a Komodo dragon exhibit. And, you know, we always joked about it on Twitter. I thought it was kind of funny myself. Uh, and then I go do a Q&A with Mark Ingram, the AD, and I write it down as just kind of a throwaway question, just to, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, some levity into the conversation, get them to laugh a little bit, open up. You know, that's always you always want to give those kind of questions to get to get guys to kind of open up and ease up a little bit. And he gave quite possibly the greatest quote I have ever heard about. Uh, he thought it was a great idea. But after talking to the zoo, you know, Komodo dragons getting out there biting children, spitting venom, killing people. He's like, no, it's not a good idea. And from that, it 
everyone picked it up. I saw it on Sports Illustrated. I saw it aggregated uh, on other uh, nation, nationwide uh, websites as well as ESPN. I mean, uh, Scott Van Pelt actually did a little, you know, a little segment on it at the, at the end of the <laughs> his show that night. And at that point, it was like, wow, uh, I kind of made it at that point. And uh, Mark actually told me all that going around. And I just remember the hysteria of it. And I uh, don't really remember the context. But uh, but Mark leaned into it uh, later on. He would tell me that probably brought more national exposure to the program than anything <laughs> since the return. I mean, that one thing brought more national exposure because they were all over uh, sports news for the week. Uh, he leaned into it. Uh, you could use the word Komodo, hashtag Komodo, get like a. 10% discount on the ticket that week. Uh, they brought in this Komodo dragon statue from the Birmingham Zoo and put it in there for their uh, their Blazer Village uh, for that weekend's game. As well as Mark went to the zoo, uh, Birmingham Zoo, met the local Komodo, Matt, rest in peace. He passed away within the past year, uh, unfortunately. He was set to go to Florida, uh, make some babies with a female Komodo. Unfortunately, he didn't get to, but uh, I think they're going to have a, they're going to have a new Komodo soon. But, uh, he went to the Birmingham Zoo, met Matt the Komodo. Uh, I talked to Mark about it. Then I went met Matt, uh, met Matt, uh, excuse me, met Matt. Ooh, too many M's there. Uh, I met Matt, went back behind the employee's, uh, you know, office door, saw them feed them, do their tricks with them. Saw, I couldn't take any pictures. They wouldn't let me take pictures, but I got to see, you know, their training and stuff with them. So that was really cool for me, just being able to actually go up and, you know, get face to face with a Komodo dragon. That was really cool. Uh, but I mean, that's just kind of how the, uh, the saga unfolded, and honestly, I try to ask Mark a little bit about it every few uh, press conferences or interviews. I might throw in something about the Komodo, and I'll, he asked me why I do it, and I'm like, well, Mark, I do it because I get asked about it every time I'm on a radio <laughs> or podcast, so if I have to be asked about it the rest of my life, I'm going to ask you about it the rest of your life, uh, but who knows? Uh, Maybe they can, uh, you know, do something special with the Komodo or something to do with it this coming season with the opening of the new stadium. Obviously, uh, the story, the follow-up story I wrote was why it would not be a good idea to have a live one at a ball game. First of all, they're cold-blooded, so I mean, you're only going to be able to have them out there probably hey, the first no, no, month. No. The season. opener, it, it, it's a late opener. You're on the road to start yeah. the year, so it's like October. It could be cold in Birmingham by yeah. October. It'll yeah, so that's the thing. Like, like you could keep the Komodo for about the first month when it's good and hot in the south, and then after that, when it starts cooling down, you got to take him inside because then he's going to die. Uh, you know, if it gets too cold. <laughs> so that's the first thing. Second of all. They're absolutely not going to take him out onto a field, even with the leash or handlers, because he mm. could get out. He's stronger than people. He can take his uh, his uh, tail and just whip someone, break someone's leg with his tail just by whipping that at him, whipping it <laughs> at him. So, I mean, I, it, the, the level of detail with which you can explain exactly why a Komodo is a bad idea reinforces how many times you've been asked about this. And I find yes. that this is this is the Conference USA that I love. But I also think it's possible. I think they could make a Komodo enclosure outside the stadium. And, you know, they have someone that goes in there, looks after them every day and stuff like that. I think they could have them out there early and, you know, have them in the open in the early part of the season, bring them inside when shirts get cold. I think it's a possibility. But uh, I mean, also let's put they- it this way. If UAB is making a playoff run and ESPN is showing up in their trucks at uh, what's that? Per- per- what is it? Something Protective State. Yeah, protective. protective. I was going to go protective. They're showing up at Protective Stadium to do their hit pieces on UAB. Could be the Dark Horse playoff. They literally would have a Komodo Dragon in front. How cool would uh, that be? I think so. Nobody's I mean, cheering for Boise. They're blue. No. UAB has a dragon. Yeah, exactly. A dragon. Come on now, folks. A dragon. There we go. All right. Man, we're 
We're not be moving very lightningy. I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> and this one will make you think a little bit. What what player won't be a preseason all conference selection for UAB, but should be? Hmm. Ooh, good question. Won't uh we talking well, I guess just because they only do one team anyway. Uh ooh. I'm gonna say T D Marshall. Oh, good pick. Good I don't pick. Th- I don't think he'll get on the list, but I think he should be. Yeah, corner. There's a couple guys at corner this year. I I had more trouble filling out corner and safety than I linebacker. I was I couldn't find anybody to put on the linebackers. Yeah, because uh, uh, Mole is no longer eligible because he moved to safety. I'm like, yeah, be- Mole would have been first pick for linebacker, but he's now at safety, and you got guys who have played a lot of safety, so they'll get the pick over him. So Chris Mole is another guy who's probably not going to make it, but should be. Just because I'm, pretty, in the I'm pretty sure now. I put him on my list. I'm going and pulling up the preview. I mean, there might be enough guys that are just like, you know, screw it. I'm putting Chris Small. I've seen the guy play. I know what he's capable of. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see that here in the, the next week or so whenever uh, we get media day started up next week. Yeah, I'm looking at my list here. Yeah, I have Chris Small and T- I have TD Marshall's second team. So, respect. Yeah, I'm on there. I, I think TD is going to be a really good player. I mean, he's already proven it. He's good at. He's obviously good at uh, intercepting the ball. One of division off a of pick six off uh-huh. of uh, North Texas, uh, and I mean he was a wide receiver when he first got to UAB, uh, transferring from Sanford. And after Bronte Harris went down with his injury a couple years ago, TD switched over and ended up becoming one of their top corners like within a year. So I mean the guy learns really fast, and I, I think he's going to be one of the top uh, you know defensive backs in the uh, conference this year. Yeah, good pick. All right, so uh, a little bit further, team MVP in twenty twenty one. Team MVP. Ooh, ooh. Mm. Colby Raglan. Okay. Good, good pick. Veteran guy. Been around. And then going bigger picture. If UAB, taking UAB out of it, if they don't win the West this year, who does? UTSA. You sure? You're on a Rice mm. podcast. I, I understand <laughs> that. If it wasn't you, I mean, the, I think the only two teams would be UTS, UTSA and Ross. I think Ross is building. Uh, towards something, you know, obviously I, I like you guys and I'm not just saying, <laughs> I'm not saying I like Ross just because I like you guys. I say, and I like Ross, I like Bloomgren. I mean, I understand where he's come from. I understand his, uh, his mentality. I like what he's doing at Ross. It's, it's a slow build, but I think it's consistently, it's consistently building a little bit. And I think it's just where are they going to take that next step? And I think this next year, I think Ross could take a next, I think Ross could get bowl eligible this next year. Uh, but I, I think, think it's, it's most interesting. You mentioned UTSA. So far, we've had a couple people say they really like UTSA to win the West, even over UAB. Uh, but the the one person who's been kind of cautiously optimistic on that front has been Jared Kelmas at uh, Underdog Dynasty, who covers UTSA. So I, I can understand it's be that. An interesting year. <laughs> I, I can I can see that from him. He don't hate it. I, I can see him not wanting to jinx anything or do say anything that could possibly be construed as a jinx of it because uh, UTSA. They got a good team. They got a great running back, uh, best running back in the league. Uh, I mean, they got well, the, the way I keep describing it is that there has to be somebody in that fan base who isn't just like wildly aggressively overconfident. So I guess Jared is filling that role. Yes, but uh, I like UTSA just just the, just what uh, Trailer was able to do in his first year. I think that says a lot. Why he was able to kind of take what was good at UTSA and really uh, lean into it. You know, whereas uh, Frank Wilson, I mean, he kind of. He talked a lot of the talk. I, I don't think he had walked as much of it because, I mean, you can just kind of tell from demeanor of guys, too, a little bit. 
And I just felt like maybe he wasn't really there the whole time. You know, no disrespect to uh, Frank Harris, you know, uh, nice guy. Whenever, you know, whenever I talked to him at media days, super nice guy. So uh, I just, I think trailer's a better fit for it. Uh, we saw it in year one when he was able to kind of take what they already had and build upon that. But I also think Ross is another team in this uh, division uh, building up. Uh, Louisiana Tech's one of those teams that's, I mean, it's a hit or a miss every year. I mean, they've got quality. They'll, they'll get to a bowl game, but whether they're going to, they're going to go you know, five and three. Yeah. Whether they go get, you know, can they get that six conference win is, is pretty much the, uh, the question with them. And then everyone else, I mean, North Texas is kind of falling back since, uh, uh, oh, Mason fine left. Uh, I never really thought Mason fine was that great. I think it was more of a product of the system they were in. Uh, and you can kind of see that now that as other guys come in, it's not been as well. Uh, UTEP, it's just so hard with UTEP, their the location, which I don't understand. I think El Paso is a pretty cool town. Uh, I mean, maybe, I, maybe it's just because I like the Southwest. I'm a fan of the Southwest uh, deserts and all that stuff. But uh, and deserts Southern Miss and all that stuff and all that stuff. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you've never seen the sunrise in the desert, uh, I suggest you do it. It's a uh, it's a very uh, moving experience. This is um, good. So if I made you go a little bit further, expand your, your your horizons a little bit beyond the West, now picking from the whole conference, if UAB doesn't win, uh, UTSA or somebody from the East, who, who's going to win win it all if it's not UAB for the umpteenth time? I think it'll be the West team. I think it'll be the West division winner. Uh, out of the East, I think, it, I, I think the only ones coming out of the East might be Marshall or Western Kentucky. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm starting to see it. Sorry, FAU fans. We'll see. We'll see. And then last we'll one, we'll let you out. Semi-easy, maybe. Uh, is, the year is 2023. You're gearing up for the 2023 season. Is Bill Clark the head coach at UAB? Ooh, that is a good question. I'm going to have to say no at this point. I believe at that point he will probably have moved on to possibly an SEC job. Uh, but also we'll kind of see how this playoff thing happens too within the next year, you know, it being approved and stuff. But I mean, first answer off the top of my head, I say no. Carter, has anybody said that their head coach was going to be here in 2023? I don't think so. I think think across the board, whether or not they were going to get fired or they were going to go on to bigger things. No one is. But then again, like I said, I, 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 with the playoff thing expanding, I mean, I think it makes UAB a little bit more attractive. Plus, they got new stadium. They've got a great facility. I mean, they're in Birmingham, the largest TV market for college football in the nation. I mean, Birmingham is number one every single year. Uh, probably because we got a bunch of Alabama fans that love watching football. Probably a part of it. But, uh, but I mean, I would find it hard to leave UAB. It just comes down to the offer and the money he gets and the uh, ability to consistently compete for a championship rather than hoping things go the right way and you take care of your own business and hopefully get into a playoff. So, but, but yeah, but, yeah, just top of my head, like I said, it, it would have to be a no, just, uh, just assuming that we would be on the same course as we are currently. Uh, I believe he would probably take another job at that point. All right. Well, that was Evan Dudley. Uh, where can we follow you, find all your rants and get updates on the Komodo dragon, which you've now promised will be recurring to some extent. Yes, uh, <laughs> on Twitter, it's at Dudley Durot A-L, uh, right as in W-R-I-T-E, Dudley Durot A-L. And you can find all my stuff at al.com forward slash UAB. Yeah. Go read Evan. He's funny. 
yeah. and and enjoyable and has yeah. Komodo Dragon updates, which I challenge you to find another writer, beat writer in Conference USA that writes anything about dragons. <laughs> Real ones, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Uh, thanks again to Evan for hopping on with us. Uh, thanks to y'all for sticking through our, uh, I believe, our second MCU podcast just in the last six months or six months or so our evolution towards a being a pop culture podcast is steadily evolving we're going to get there but you know it's a it's a slow slow evolution slow slow progress but we got that. <laughs> yeah uh so thanks for sticking with us y'all uh we'll be back next week and rice fight this show was edited and produced by carter spires it features music from joseph mcdade